Welcome everyone to the Ken Hill Podcast. I'm Ken Hill. My goal with the podcast is to share the techniques and habits of what the best motorcycle riders in the world do to thrive and survive in a sport that has consequences. Using my 20 plus years of riding and training at the highest levels, I want to make these techniques and habits accessible to every rider in the world. The podcast structure is deliberate. I don't have sponsors. The duration relative to many other podcasts is short, making it simple to listen multiple times, and I only release a new podcast when I feel I have something to share. I'm not cranking out podcasts because my sponsors say I need to. You listeners are my sponsors, and I appreciate the donations, which can be made via the podcast page on my website, khcoaching.com. And now, here's today's episode. Welcome to the Ken Hill Podcast. This is your host, Ken Hill. This is podcast number 93. This uh, intro is, we actually don't have a lot going on with uh, with this intro and housekeeping. Uh, I've been trying to keep keep up on the podcast and keep knocking through some of the lists. And this one is uh, another uh, one of our AMAs, right? Ask me anything, as long as as it's motorcycle-related. Uh, we'll keep it to we'll keep it to that. And we've had some great questions. There's a few that I didn't get to on this one that I, I need to do a little bit more homework on. Um, one involving, you know, kind of where the bike market is going. Why another one? Why we why we're seeing so many crashes in Moto2 and I got to do a little bit more homework on that. Um, so I'll 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 be doing another one of those. But, yeah, please, please submit your questions to kenhillpodcast at gmail.com and just like these uh hopefully we get your questions answered so pretty simple all right let's uh let's get diving right into uh podcast number 93 all right back with podcast number 93 i'm going to try to answer five questions here i'm going to try to limit these to to five questions so we're just going to jump right in here and uh and start getting after it all right Question number one comes from uh, from Loki, and uh, Loki's asking about hitting barriers and meaning or, or, or plateauing. And as a new writer, I'm I'm not going to read you his his whole his whole email, but newer writer uh, improving quite a bit, improving quickly, but then plateauing, and um, also getting a little bit overwhelmed with uh, speed. So as you're going quicker. Uh, just getting a little bit out of sync with things. So I'm going to break that down into two things, which is one hitting plateaus and um, your technique, technique kind of falling away as, um, as the pace comes up. So, and it's really interesting because with newer writers, it, it typically writers, newer writers that are especially following a program. They, Oh my gosh, you see all these great improvements and the lap time keeps coming down and this is awesome. And then at some point, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you're at in your riding, you're going to you're going to hit a plateau, and it it can be a little bit it can be a little bit uh, you can get taken aback a little bit from it. Be like, oh my gosh, I you know what what happened? Do I suck? And uh, why did why did this suddenly get so hard? So let's uh, let's kind of break that down into hitting plateaus, and then we're going to dive a little bit more into the part of his question of of getting overwhelmed. So. Hitting plateaus. And you have to remember that we actually, as, as we stay in any sport, 
as you stay into it, you actually, you're actually at the plateau stage most of the time. In the beginning, as I mentioned, right, you, you're, you, you kind of crawl up or you kind of shoot up and then you figure something out and then it's like, okay, easy, I'll shoot up again. But that, that is not, it just doesn't stay that way. And as you stay in into any sport, you end up spending a lot of time at that plateau stage. And the first thing with that is understanding that is completely normal. It's absolutely normal. It's just then at that point, you have to decide, what do I want to do with it? Do I want to go to the next step? How, how, do, I want to, how do I want to deal with my, my plateau? So when we look at plateaus, we, we reverse the issue. So first is we, we look at your goal. And so what is your goal in your riding? Is it, is, it, is it racing? Is it to be a more proficient rider? Is it all these different things? And of course, a lot of times it's the lap time. Okay, I get it. Lap time, no problem. So we have to look at the goal. Second thing is we have to start looking at what is holding you back from that goal. Is it braking? Is it acceleration? Is it precision? What's stopping you from, from getting there? You're, again, you could have very good precision, but maybe you're not using a lot of brake force or you may not have a lot of acceleration force, whatever it might be. So getting evaluated to figure out what is holding you back. This is where professional, quite honestly, I'm not, I'm not going to try to, you know, push my stuff. It's, this is where a professional's opinion pays off. I mean, it, it shortcuts these plateau stages. And not only does it, does it shortcut the plateau stages, but it gives you a pathway to improve. So get evaluated. I mean, a professional maybe look, can look at one of your videos and see in three corners, hey, you're not doing X, Y, or Z. So we need, we need to get evaluated. And then once you get evaluated for whatever it might be, is then you can start putting a plan together to work on a singular thing at a time that 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 can help you. So let's let's just say if it's breaking, right? Okay, we're not building a brake force, or maybe you're building too much brake force. Is then you can start to go, okay, I'm I'm not my my braking is not right. I keep getting outbraked. And then again, part of the evaluation is why are you getting outbraked? Is not enough brake pressure? Is it breaking too early? Is it breaking too hard? Whatever it might be. And then you can start to work on that one thing at a time. And I think that's a that's a pretty big deal. Uh, is one fig, you know, figure out what it is, but then work on one thing at a time to to fix it. And a quick story on that is when uh, I started working a little bit more with, with some of the pro riders, like actually on track with the pro riders and you know, working with the, with the JD beaches and the Hayden Gillums and the Valentins. And we were at schools. We'd have our, we had our little camps. Uh, somebody has to film them. And so I noticed that when I would go film them, yeah, I'm not as quick as they are, but I could still go. Okay. And the thing that I lacked was I was I was essentially breaking sort of one board before them. That's sort of the, the short version. And it was obviously that that's what was holding me back. So I had to work on, okay, one, that's that's my problem. Um, and now how am I going to fix it? And so part of that was a vision issue for me. And I had to work on that one particular thing. And it took me quite a while to work on this. This is this is probably a six-month project to to get it. And now breaking's not, not an issue for me, but 
that was something that was holding me back. Of course, my goal was to be able to ride with these guys and break with these guys. So we're, you know, again, the, the list that I, the list that I talked about with the plateaus. So again, plateaus are normal. Think about what your goal is, what's holding your, holding you back and get evaluated and work on one thing at a time. And the second part of Loki's question is his technique falls apart as the pace, you know, picks up. And some of it also, he wrote, is his brain gets his, his brain gets overloaded. And honestly, that's no different than what I was experiencing, where I was getting to my breaking zone surprised. And again, just not recognizing my break zone early enough. And again, as soon as I worked on my vision, because again, if I have my vision, seeing what's coming next earlier, then I can form my plan earlier. And if it's an issue where if you're not able to fully develop your plan, say it's like, well, okay, I'm going to get to this corner, but I still don't know what to do. Then we can start working on the braking technique. So in Loki's case, I think we have some vision issues uh, that we need to take a look at. And then as well as, yeah, he writes in there, I got to train my vision. Um, But, but also, you know, having, you know, get his vision going, but making sure that he has the correct braking technique going on there with the correct report cards. And as we know from the order of the sport, the report card for that is, you know, how, how are we doing essentially on, on apexes? So, all right, there you go. All right. Question number two, um, Shrad writes in and he, he's, he wants to ask about uh, specific features of corners uh, that are basically camber off camber uh, as, as well as maybe uphill and downhill. So, how do we maximize or how do we look at those corners? And yeah, great question, right? So um, let's separate that into a couple different couple things. Let's first talk about the scary one, right? Which is off camber. And off camber, yeah, I mean, it's it can be a little bit it can be a little bit scary. So the way that we're going to look at an off-camber situation is we want to make, because you're worried about having less grip. Okay, well, great. Let's fix it. Let's give you more grip. So typically in off-camber situations, we're going to be straighter. So we're going to come in straighter and we're going to exit straighter so we can maximize our contact patch. And that tells you that you're doing something to give more grip. So off-camber corners... You can run in a little bit straighter. You can exit a little bit straighter to help um, keep the bike upright, and that would give you a little bit more, a little bit more grip. Now, corners with camber, um, I think the way we look at that is we use the camber for grip, and you want to take advantage of it. And you can think. I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of corners that we can look at this right. Um, I'm just kind of giving the one that just pops through to my mind is uh, the bowl at Chuckwalla. And what we can do with that is you're going to use the camber for grip, meaning you can have a little bit of an earlier brake release because you know that you're, you're going to have the camber to, to help hold you up. And it's the same thing even on the throttle. You've got the camber, so your throttle build can come faster. Not where you go to throttle, but notice what I said, right? Your throttle build can happen faster. So you can start opening the throttle a little bit quicker because you've got that camber to help to help hold you up. So yeah, camber, um, it's always super fun. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I guess I, I've always seen it a little bit, 
simpler where it's like, yeah, great. I'll just come in straighter, give myself more grip, exit, be a little straighter, give myself more grip. Pretty simple. Uh, and then corners with camber, like I said, use the camber for grip. Uphills and downhills are a whole, kind of a whole nother thing. And I don't want to go, <laughs> there's, I think there's a lot, there's a lot to uphills and downhills, but we don't necessarily want to over, overthink it. And there's even some bike setups, things that go with, with uphills and downhills. Let's take a, like a, like a Berber um, or Sonoma or even Laguna to, to a degree. And when we look at corners like that or tracks that have elevation is, and again, it also depends on where some, yeah, Pittsburgh's another great one, right? Where, you know, you see the riders coming to turn one, turn five at Barber, the bikes are completely hacked out because uh, of, of the downhill. But we're not necessarily doing a lot for, um, we're not necessarily changing the complete the bike's complete setup for that on the front of the bike. Interestingly enough, we might make some changes to the rear of the bike to to help with that. As far as rebound settings or even spring preloads, we'll, we might do some messing around with that. But also, we we work more on the rider and their inputs there, where they're not transferring weight um, forward too quickly. And let them allow the front tire and the um, uh, the fork to gain energy. So we actually spend quite a bit of time talking with the rider about that, and not because you see the riders that if they they go to the brakes very very quickly, the bike backs in quickly, typically too quickly of a uh, of an input. Whereas if they build it, it can actually actually prevent that from happening. So yeah, uphills and downhills. Um, yeah, I mean even even on some of the uphills. A lot of the uphills, they end up like even you can go turn five at Pittsburgh as an example for that. Um, you can, again, it's sort of got some camber with it, so you can use the camber to help help load the tire. Um, then you've got some other corners, again, like Pittsburgh's another one, 14 at Pittsburgh, where the where the, the exit drops off. And so, again, being straighter over that is what helps helps you with that, so... All right, there's uh, there's our camber our camber question. Um, let's take a look here at our next one, number three. Ah, Dan. Uh, Dan's one of my Blaze uh, Blaze clients as well, and so this is a good question from from Dan, which is, how early can you turn in and not compromise bike placement? So, you know, a lot of this has to do, obviously, with with the, the corner that you're approaching and how, um, you know, how, where your turn-in point's going to be, what your turn-in rate is going to be. But regardless of the corner radius, the way that we would look at that is, yeah, we, we do want to turn in at a rate which helps maximize grip and helps maximize brake pressure, but still does not compromise your approach to the corner as well. So yeah, obviously a lot going on there. I would say the easiest or the, the best answer for that is if you have to pick the bike up to get to the apex. So if you've turned in and you've turned in too early, and then as you start, as you, as you try to get to the apex or you're trying to get to the curb or whatever it might be, and you actually have to pick the bike up, well, then that's, that's too much. Right, you've turned in either too quickly or or too early, so you've compromised your bike placement right there. So, 
I would say if you can continue to turn in a linear fashion where you're incrementally reducing your speed and um, increasing your lane angle, and if you can keep doing that, you're good. But if you've got to pick the bike back up, then yeah, then you've, you've, you've gone too much. And part of that also is let's, let's take that a little bit of a step further, which is if you've turned in say too early and you have to alter your lean angle at the apex, meaning, or your trajectory at the apex, same thing. Then we've got something going on there where, where again, the whole idea is we want to be able to uh, add lean angle in a linear fashion to the slow point and take it away from the slow points. But so if you're having to alter your trajectory after that's done, then we know we have a little bit of a little bit of an issue there. So, uh, all right, let's go with, uh, we got another question here. Um, oh, Tyson just, uh, Tyson just um, squeaked this one in, which is GP shift. And uh, whether whether we should be using GP shift or not, and you know, all the professionals are using it, and is that actually the case? So, I would say, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, the majority of professional riders are using quote GP shift reverse shift, and there were some outliers when it came to that. Of course, right? There's a few there's a few riders that that are going to use a standard shift. And of course, now in GP, um, and even now World Superbike, right? We have the neutral lockout, so it, it 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 you're not having to worry about finding neutral. So GP shift is basically the industry standard, and it's yeah, you can get away with with using a regular quote street pattern, but I feel at some point it's going to limit you. It's the great example is, I mean, I, I can I can shift both ways because I have just have a lot of experience. I can jump on any bike and it doesn't it doesn't bother me. Um, but on one of my FC ones that I that I ride is a street shift, and I can when I'm running around at a normal pace, it's not that big a deal. But as soon as the pace comes up, and I'm having to try to get my foot under the shifter to try to make a shift when the bike is leaned over, that is a struggle. So I think it's one of those things that with GP shift, it's it's sort of the quicker you go and the less time that you have, it absolutely, absolutely makes um it absolutely makes sense. So and you know, transitioning transitioning um is is actually fairly simple. Um I know a lot of people freak out about it, but you would be surprised at how how easy how easy it is. Typically, within a couple of sessions, when you're riding, uh, you get on track and you're riding. Riding, you'll you'll get used to it. Um, I very rarely have I seen uh, and somebody people typically over worry, overthink it a little bit, and when they do it, it's just really not that not that big of a deal. So yeah, I I think that it's something that um, if you're racing and you're going to stick stay racing, uh, I I. Yeah, I'm a fan of it. I'm a fan of it. I think that's great. It's easy to switch a lot of your bikes over as well if you're riding street bikes as well. So not that big of a not that big of a deal. All right, let's um, look at our last question. So this is kind of question number five. Uh, question number five from Bill. Um, I see you at regular track days with regular riders. Don't you only work with pros? <laughs> so, um, well. 
I, there's, there's a lot to this answer. Um, and the, the first one is, uh, be, be very transparent. Yeah. A lot of it has to do with money. Um, I mean, I, I'm here, this is a, this is a job for me, right? It, it's a career. And so I need to look at who's going to compensate me the most for my services. It's pretty simple. Um, so if someone's going to pay, you know, the day rate, if it's into my schedule and I'm going to regular track day, that's awesome. I think it's great. And, but there's actually quite a bit more, more to it than that, which is, I don't ever want to pigeonhole myself either being at the very top or the very bottom. There's nothing wrong with either, but really a master of his craft, right? Should be able to work with anyone and should, it, it doesn't matter, right? This goes back to, you know, should be able to ride any bike, anywhere, any conditions, anytime. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Just as is, I want to be able to work with somebody that's literally never ridden a motorcycle to somebody that um, is in, is in Grand Prix. And uh, I, I, I think that is really the hallmark of somebody knowing their, their craft uh, very, very well. The other part of that is I think when you look at where the brunt of riding is, it's going to be at track days and club racing. And working with, quote, normal people I mean, this is being on the front lines of identifying what's going on with riding, what's going on with track days, what's going on with equipment. So, yeah, if you see me out there changing wheels, changing gearing, changing brake pads, it's because if I want to be really good at this, I need to be involved on the front lines of doing this. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to be figuring these things out. So I think it's it's just part of the, it's part of the experience. And it's, it's again, part of me wanting to, to be the best at this. And if, again, I, I want to be able to be, I want to be able to scale either at the highest level or scale at the, at the lowest level. And it doesn't matter. And so to, to, to give two opposite ends of this is <clears throat> if I'm working with a pro rider and, you know, they're, they're at the very, you know, the, the 0.01% of, of their technique or craft. And I, it, it's very much proven it, what I'm doing, whether it works or not, and how I communicate it with them and how I, how I, you know, how we approach it, how we form report cards, all these things. And we can see that it works at a very, very, at the very sharp end, right? At the highest level. Well, that actually makes my job easier if I'm working on somebody at a track day because it helps me pinpoint what the correct technique should be and even in what order it is. It just makes life a lot easier. And just as now the opposite side is working with somebody that's a newer rider or somebody at a track day is finding different ways with different people to communicate these techniques and habits and that actually that actually is great because if you if if you find something that makes it easier to take obviously some we're trying to do very complex things if you find an easier way and you're de you're dealing with more people right so you've got to be able to figure out um, how this person learns how they connect with your communication. And as you build more of an inventory of that, it makes your job easier for everyone else.
So yeah, that's why I'm that's why I'm doing it. Because um, again, I want to get better at this, and uh, every every day is a learning opportunity uh, for me. So, all right, there you go. Five questions. Um, hope you enjoyed them. I I love getting these. So if you have questions, please submit them to kenhillpodcast at gmail And we've already got a list building for the next one. So all right, thanks again. Ken Hill Podcast. 2021, all rights reserved.